welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm your host, Tammy Takeishi. Join me for compelling conversations with artists, actors, authors, musicians, and other creatives about the impact of the creative and fine arts in their lives and our ever-changing world. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast. Today I am joined by Texas-based blues rocker Clay Melton. He has spent most of his life performing live and playing wicked guitar. He had a release back in July of 21, Back to Blue, which was spun on more than 160 radio stations in the U.S., and abroad. And he is about to drop a hot new single, Alive on a Wire, at the end of February. And he's also going to be doing a tour kicking off in the Houston area on March 2nd at the Dosi Do. Links will be in the show notes for for the tour if you'd like to come check out Clay. And welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. You were born in Louisiana and grew up in Texas, so obviously lots of really great musical influences. Yeah, I mean, I grew up on so much uh, Southern R&B and blues and country and all kinds of styles are are great. They come out of uh, New Orleans and Louisiana and Texas. Did you attend a lot of live shows in addition to playing growing up? My first uh, influential concert was around when I was 10 or 11, I saw Eric Clapton live, and uh, he had Dole Bramhall II, a great guitarist, as well as Derek Trucks. And uh, then, you know, from there, I was starting to, before I saw too many concerts, around like, you know, between 11 and 13, I was playing in the garage with my friend, you know, every day after school and in the summers. And uh, and so it was a lot of time. And then, you know, I, I did, once I was able to get out to concerts, really, uh, when I was a teenager, then, you know, I was catching a concert a couple times a week. I know it's going to be hard to narrow down, but are there any specific musicians or bands who really inspired you as you were growing up? It's always hard to narrow down. It's like the favorite song question, but um, so I, mean, I, I don't mind uh, listening plenty. Right when I got in, it was uh, Jimi Hendrix that got me interested in guitar in the first place. And hearing that, uh, my dad put on uh, All Along the Watchtower in the car and just uh, the guitar solo really blew my mind. And so that was kind of my first major interest, and it was a major interest because I was listening to everything I could, trying to play along, and then, um, you know, I would find out about artists that he would talk about and um, back to kind of his influences, a lot of blues players, and I was heavy into blues. Um, really from the get of uh, becoming, you know, a guitarist, starting to learn and trying to sing, and then, you know, it went well into, you know, middle school and high school, even though I wasn't really listening to what was cool as much you know i was listening to a lot of old styles and uh and i've always kind of been that way but uh yeah i mean so hendrix zeppelin you know steve ray vaughn the classic classic rock kind of go-tos and stuff but a lot of older stuff uh, i've always loved john mayer you know as an interpretation of some of those styles modernized and writes a great pop song and beyond that into contemporary music and everything there's endless influences to me for sure Excellent. So obviously guitar, your first love, but 
Are there any other instruments you'd be interested in dabbling in just for fun? I, I clink around on the piano. I'm definitely self-taught. Um, and it's interesting. You know, I've always, when I've been around a piano, tried to play a little bit. But um, when I began to have access to something to try and work on my skills on the piano, it was uh, different than learning the guitar and trying to wrap my head around theory and everything. And now I was applying to all the you know fundamentals I knew with guitar just into a different kind of technical proficiency. Right. And, and also it, it, it unlocked different bridges in my mind, thinking about theory and arrangements and voicings. Um, so the stepping stone was uh, different and it, it's kind of exciting to have a fresh instrument to learn and to experience because it, it, it's just a different uh, mindset you get. When did you initially get into songwriting? A couple years into playing guitar, I'd, would come up with ideas and really kind of right away I had some very basic, you know, rudimentary kind of a eight track style recorders and stuff and made demos from a young age. And I was not a born singer at all. And so that, that took a lot longer and uh, finding out how to, you know, use the voice that I have and stuff. And uh, which is also kind of, you know, like it's like learning another instrument when you start to get to know your voice in different ways and it changes over years and so, uh, I, you know, from the time I was 13, I was trying to write songs and trying to sing, you know. Excellent. Well, it's obviously paid off, you know, because you've got albums out and you're, you have more projects about to be out in the world. Would you be able to talk a little bit more about your upcoming single and album? So Live on the Wire is coming out February 24th. And it's our first release that's an in-studio uh, single. Or song that um as opposed to our last release which was a live album we recorded last january um and so it, it's been a journey we're taking an approach total diy on the recording right now and uh, i don't know how much you can see behind me but my living room's a studio pretty much constantly and uh so we you know we a lot of our processes before we've worked in studios with producers and um that can get expensive when you want to really spend time on stuff and so we always did the process of pre-proing ourselves in rehearsal and then going and cutting a song whenever we thought we were ready and we could nail it. Our first album, Burn the Ships, we did nine songs in seven days and, you know, started each song every day from the from scratch. And we're doing drums in the morning and then finishing vocals in the evening. And that was because we had really, really decided what musical parts we wanted to play before we went into the studio and so we could just focus on sounds and how the recording was coming out. Um, but the approach we're taking now is more we're doing it ourselves. We're not spending the money on the time uh, in a studio. So, you know, we can record drums, step away for a week and let the process kind of breathe and um, stay fresh and not be tied down by the, the studio time that we can afford. So this is a, kind of our first iteration of that. And I'm very proud of the work that we did here. Sebastian Cure. He's a producer we've worked with for a long time, um, lives in Colombia, and he's doing all our mixing. And uh, I'm really happy with how uh, with the work he did on it. So it's exciting. And it's going to be kind of uh, the style of our recordings going forward and the album uh, later on. That sounds really great that you've been able to explore those aspects of songwriting and creating a little bit deeper. Speaking of the creating process, what is one of your favorite parts of creating and least favorite parts favorite parts are when uh the song's just coming out 
you know, you get that moment. And uh, especially if you've gone, like, if you've been frustrated with your output or, uh, you know, not digging anything too much, um, I try and keep the attitude of chipping away whether or not I'm extremely excited um, like whether or not I feel that, oh, this is a, this is an idea, you know, but whenever you do get that and then, you know, some midnight demo session where you, uh, end up with almost a full song and, uh, that's a beautiful moment as well as when that, ha- even more so when that happens with other people in the process, um, because there's always ideas you wouldn't have had yourself, you know, and it's a different synergy, much like live performance with, uh, players you get along with, uh, least favorite the writing process is when I'm co-writing and it starts to feel like there's more conversation than doing. Um, and, and that's not always a detriment to the people you're working with or the working relationship you have in that moment, but it's just a, it's a tendency for, I think, people to need to communicate ideas when they're working with someone else. And sometimes it can just become jargon that's besides the point. It's like, and I'm I'm a fan of the idea. If there is usually discussion happens whenever there's opposing ideas, right? And so it's a lot easier to just try the idea right away and try the other one. And I mean, you'll hear it. The truth is is in the playback, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I'm a, I'm a fan of just playing the music instead of um, thinking about what will work. Is there anyone who you have not collaborated with that you would really love to, like a dream list? Of course. I mean, John Mayer is one is major uh, influence, like I said before. And uh, there's some great guitars here in Texas. Uh, Gary Clark Jr., Samantha Fish is in New Orleans now. And of course, there's there's some legends. I mean, I just like to be in the same room as Stevie Wonder one day, you know? Right, right. Are you a fan of watching the Grammys? I know that happened recently. I don't even watch TV personally. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I, I pay attention to it relatively. It's cool to see artists uh, that are great get recognition. There's a lot of artists too that I respect that I feel uh, have maybe the same sentiment or I share theirs that uh, it, the accolades and stuff are a separate thing and you know, and it can get political and whatnot. But uh, I think it's great, like I said, when a great artist that deserves recognition gets it. Right, right. But as you've mentioned, of course, there's so many wonderful artists who kind of fly under the radar, you know? All the time. And they're out there at shows, and that's where that's where you catch them. So growing up in Texas, and of course, soaking in the blues, there's always really great places to go. Is there any special venue that just sort of has your heart that you loved going to growing up? There was a venue in Houston called Walter's. Uh, Walter's on Washington was the original venue, but uh, they were a venue that I'm partial to a dive bar and a dive venue. You know, there's a, there's really great quality dives. This wasn't, I guess you call it a dive. There was graffiti all over the bathroom, but it, you know, it was just a cinder block building with a great stage in the middle. The sound tech was great. And they did a great job of booking uh, acts in various places in their careers and popularity. Um, And so I went there. That was a place where I spent, you know, especially after high school and uh, 18 to 22, I was there a couple nights a week because I just knew there would be a band playing and it was usually something different and something interesting, you know, that's how they operated their club is where I think like all the cities that we play at, wherever there's like a great energy, it's because there is like a, it's the people and the venues 
supporting each other and the venues choosing to bring in acts that given them a chance, I think, you know, and it just creates this scene and it creates an energy that I thought that club really did for the city. Excellent. And speaking of venues, you've got a tour that you're going to be embarking on in a few short weeks. Would you be able to talk a little bit about what the prep is going to be like going into that and what you're looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, the prep is uh, getting the show uh, tied and ready. And, you know, we kind of take an approach of building um, a multitude of sets. You know, some nights it's fun to just call a tune out out of order and do something different. And uh, and then having multiple sets to just switch it up and keep it fresh every night. A lot of our songs, uh, you know, they're arranged and have specific uh, arrangements, but there's a lot of uh, open jam moments, you know, to where for this amount of time where, you know, anything goes and, so that keeps exciting, but uh, we're prepping with uh, another release that we're going to put out right before the tour. Um, it's going to be a studio version of a song on our live album, Runner. One I'm very excited about, something that I was into when we were doing the live album. One I wanted to really just, I just wanted to capture what we were doing live because that's what we had try, been trying to do, I think, in the studio leading up to that. So I said, let's just do it live. And then, you know, there's a lot of albums I like by artists where you fall in love with the song on the album and then you know i appreciate the live version that they put out maybe on a live album later and uh just the way it worked out the live album made sense to do it's you know you cut it in one night it was one concert and then we had time to prep and uh get on the road and so now we get to kind of retreat these songs after a year of touring them and playing them a million times and uh seeing what stuck and whatnot and so this will be kind of a a fresh look on the tunes for us and, you know, the fans. Nice. What is something that you really look forward to on tour? Like, do you always stop at a certain restaurant or anything like that? Uh, we definitely try and catch Whataburger before we leave Texas. <laughs> You're in Houston, so I, I, know, yep, I, yep. I know you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, of course, Bucky's. You know, there's so much uh, go, go, go on tour. Um, you see a lot of beautiful places, but you see a lot of parking lots. Um, and so... We travel in an RV, and whenever we have off days, we'll camp at like a campground of America or something, and do like a family dinner all together. It's four of us in there, so it's nice to like, you know, take our time, cook a nice healthy meal and stuff. And then when we're in more like city areas and stuff, if there's a cool coffee shop or vinyl shop or something, you know, just go check out what what's local and, and whatnot. But uh, other than that, we're uh, we're together all the time, you know, so. We we try and do fun stuff as a group, and then some mornings we're like, all right, everybody's alone time because it's it's healthy. What are some of your favorite after concert rituals? It's usually a meal of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're always you know there's usually meals available right before the show, but uh, I don't like eating right before going on, just feeling slow and whatnot. And so uh, yeah, if there's great food available especially if it's warm because we usually get a plate you know before the show but uh if there's something available that's great you know it's sometimes there's time in between load-in and the show and like oh there's a cool restaurant next door and those are always like fun experiences and uh getting to try whatever's local and then um but other than that it's great when we can end up somewhere hanging out with either local musicians or friends of ours and I'm more of a uh, campfire, kickback, acoustic guitar with friends rather than a let's go to the club. Excellent. 
So you started your musical journey pretty early, but what is something you wish you had known back then? Mm. <laughs> uh, lots of things. I kind of always had the attitude because I, I was just really infatuated with playing guitar. And then once I started playing live, falling in love with that aspect. And I think it would have been good advice to just continue. Just trust what you like, I guess. Especially as a songwriter, you get a lot of questions and doubts and you get, you know, uh, inspirations that take you different places. And I don't think I regret at all chasing different musical taste because uh, that all eventually goes into the same gumbo. But there's something different when you have the approach and mindset that uh, when you're creating, you're expressing yourself and you just got to use the voice that you have, you know, and don't try and be something that you're not, I guess. Yeah, sometimes sort of finding your own voice is a journey in and of itself, right? That is the journey, you know, and uh, it's amazing when you hear, uh, especially a young or inexperienced uh, performer, but you can hear it. it. It's it's there. You can hear their uh, their personality and their own unique voice, you know, and it's easy for you to say, do that, trust that. But, you know, for, for an individual it's a it's a lot of different mental journeys and emotional journeys to really like I think find that sweet spot we talked about songwriting a little bit before but what usually sparks it for you um you know do you usually come up with a melody first or a rhythm line or a lyric or how's that go for you there's no one way for sure um and it it can be completely random uh, there's a, I have, you know, hundreds of voice notes that are, some are just, you know, just hums and stuff. And then, or uh, guitar licks that I don't have a guitar in my hand right now, so I'm going to sing it. Then obviously some start just jamming on the guitar. Uh, a lot of, most I think of my writing is I'll set down a recorder and I'm on an acoustic guitar or my electric and I just start playing. And then sometimes when inspiration isn't striking, I still try and throw myself into it. And just start, you know, a recording session and make a drum beat and see what I come up with. Is there anything musically that you haven't tried that yet that you might want to, like, maybe another instrument to throw in there or a different style just for fun and see where it goes? Definitely, whenever we uh, can accommodate and afford, would love to have a horn section uh, and an organ player. I probably think that our next move will be adding a key player um preferably that can sing if anybody's out there and um and then i you know i love horn arrangements and just the uh the feel and you know a lot of times when i'm listening to music i'm probably listening to something out of the 60s or 70s um a lot of funk new orleans styles of music and uh, southern r&b and so all that stuff is really what my ear likes but uh i also i love the trio you know one, it makes a lot of things simple. Um, it's a lot less uh, personalities to coordinate, um, and we all get along great. And uh, there's something about just the synergy of making it happen with, you know, kind of minimal instruments. If you've been feeling burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, or exhausted, the resources and courses at the Self-Care Institute are here to support you. 
The Self-Care Institute was founded by Dr. Ami Kunimura and provides support for individuals and organizations with burnout prevention, burnout recovery, and stress management. I've personally taken a few of these courses and found them to be super helpful, both professionally and personally. The care you give yourself matters just as much as the care you give to others. But if self-care is difficult for you, you're not alone. And the Self-Care Institute is here to support your well-being, resilience, and sense of fulfillment at work and at home. For more information, visit selfcareinstitute.com or go to the show notes and click on the link. That is really neat. I think it would be so awesome to hear, like you said, a whole horn section and just just everything just, you know, like. Yeah, who doesn't like brass? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Excellent. If you were stranded on a desert island and you could only take one music album, what would it be? Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life. Oh, that's a really good one. That's a really yeah. good one. Play it front to back. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's one of those where, like, I don't think anyone could get tired of that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I come back to it all the time. Yeah, it, make, it makes me happy. It makes me sad. All the, all, all the emotions are in there. So, and it jams. Yes, yes. So another fun question, and I'm guessing I probably already know the answer, but if you could time travel to any place in time for a couple of days, uh, where where would you go in time? I have two sides of me that, that want to answer. One is I was really into like... Uh, pyramids in ancient egypt when i was a kid you know i think i saw like indiana jones and i wanted to be a archaeologist archaeologist yes um <laughs> thank you and uh even though that's not at all what it's like right <laughs> then another side of me would love to see like the music scenes in the 70s i think a lot of my musical influences were happening before then i think there was like i love the time in recorded music of the 70s and just the different styles that were starting to like cultivate and pioneer then it's just an interesting era to me music yeah yeah and they had a lot of just a lot of flavor i think in the music you know they weren't afraid to just go for it yeah yeah i mean 60s this you know the 60s were supposed to be very free with the hippie movement and everything but uh i think what you're saying like the flavors you know available and like uh the pop even besides the popular styles there was a lot of variety that definitely sounds like it'd be really fun or even bouncing back and forth between visiting the 70s going to egypt all of that <laughs> oh yeah make a crazy record come back with uh some kind of ancient uh eastern music there you go <laughs> what is a favorite memory that you've had so far or even a funny memory of your time touring and working on your albums one tour story that tour story that comes to mind is uh we were touring in 26 17 we were in this tall bus and the drummer was driving and we were leaving nashville and there's a small low tacoma truck and it had a full drum kit in the bed of the truck and passes by on the highway and then about 15 minutes later the kick drum is rolling down the highway towards us and this bus and of course the drummer's driving and so he's just slowly moving. You can't swerve in those, you know, and we barely, it barely scraped us. But then like uh, <laughs> the bass player made a sign. He's like, your drum set hit our house. We passed him by. 
later on the highway and it was just uh it, it would have smashed through the windshield it, it was a close call but uh just the fact that it was a, a drum kit felt bad for the drummer too he lost his his kick drum you know yeah it's always amazing what you see on the on the roadways right oh <laughs> endless surprises all right this one's probably going to be a toughie but if you could bring back any musician or artist or creative person from the grave who would it be i'd have to say hendrix so i have a personal interest in seeing what he would have done um because he wasn't a purist in any one style there's a lot of players i respect but i think that uh the possibilities where he could have gone is super interesting to me it is a tough question though there's a lot of others i'd like to bring back you know, so many talented musicians, um, you know, before our lifetime and within our lifetime that that really help shape us. Exactly. And the ones that leave an impact, they continue to shape on the way that like culture reflects on not only like it because you, you can observe what was happening when they were making it, but it's almost like the um, the meaning changes based on where, you know, society is. It's just those special moments. Like I was talking about this before with somebody and uh, like the Foo Fighters, I think is an interesting situation where I can't think of a modern rock band that um, has the kind of trajectory where Dave Grohl being in Nirvana, such a influential band in, in the early nineties, uh, starting from the early nineties and it being a part of the grunge movement. And then shifting to a solo career basically that became the Foo Fighters that has been a majorly successful band for decades and into today and so I mean just a real rock and roll legends you know not only does he have the influence from the 90s but I can't think of another rock band that's as big or that has that much I think impact on decades of musicians and fans that's coming out today I mean who knows what will happen so many wild things have to line up for these impacts to be made and for one person to be the right person to to take a you know healthy advantage of those uh, opportunities yeah i mean it certainly seems rare that someone's not only part of one really major sensational group but two you know in their lifetime it's fantastic so yeah and it's just rock and roll yeah <laughs> One of the guests I had on the show a while ago recommended a book from The Cradle to the Stage written by Dave Grohl's mom. Have you ever read that one? I haven't read that, but I've heard of it. It's got to be an interesting perspective. Yes. It's on my list of books to read. So, I just finished reading um, Stephen King's uh, On Writing. Have you read that? I have. Yeah, it's been a little while. It's on my bookshelf over there. I'm no one. author, you know, and he tells you, it's like, if you're not, a, if you're not writing hundreds of words a day, then, you know, this isn't for you, but it's just so interesting to, you know, cause I love his books and, uh, his output is massive. I I've always been infatuated with, uh, or I think it's so interesting that, you know, I make music and that's one type of creative output and the industry and career is a totally different conversation. But I love the idea that a uh, author can make an entire career living and impact and have a voice, just especially if it's fiction, obviously, but uh, just from what's up here. You know, it all comes just, just out from them and edited and then it's out. 
I just think that's uh, kind of a romantic way to live. My uh, grandmother was a librarian and I would go to uh, her library. My mom would drop her, drop me off and I would spend a lot of time there uh, growing up. And so I've always been a big reader and I don't write in the way that I think, you know, would be output for like a novel or like a writer that does fiction or anything like that. But, uh, but I love to consume it, <laughs> you know. That's excellent. In addition to Stephen King, who are some of your other favorite authors? I love James Lee Burke, who is a, uh, it's basically a detective novelist. Um, and he writes about, he has Dave Robichaux, um, um, is the character who is a um, homicide detective in New Orleans and New, New Iberia. And uh, I love the way he writes about the geography and uh, the landscape uh, in Southern Louisiana and really nails, I think, like some of the some of the social aspects of uh of the south and everything like that then there's this other book i've been reading it's called so you want to be a rock star and it's by jacob schlitter and he was in the the band that wrote closing time massive song that was their one hit wonder and it's uh his story of writing that success and their interactions and then trying to maintain as a band post the, the hit you know and just his experience in being in a band that vaulted very quickly and then then had to survive again as really an independent band. I'll have to check that book out. That sounds really interesting. So. Yeah, the book's better. The book's better than the title that's on. <laughs> it's not. A, it's not a how-to. Gosh darn it! <laughs> <laughs> Step one: get a guitar. <laughs> Today would be a synth, probably. Right. Right. <laughs> Trying to make guitar cool still. And speaking of guitar, do you have any advice for young musicians, young guitar players who want to grow up and do what you do? Yes, play with other people, um, get as much live experience, whatever it is, because that's where, where, where you'll learn your biggest lessons, and I think quicker. Um, it's like all the practice that you put in compounds into this moment to where it's being put into practice in a way that you couldn't do on your own, and it teaches you to listen to other people, which is a skill that translates to your own playing and thinking about how you fit into what is a relationship with other with what the other elements that are happening in whatever setting you're playing in. But yeah, just jam. Get together with your friends, throw a backyard party, do a crawfish boil, set up your amps and you know, do whatever, but I really go to if you have open mics available in your area, that's the best place to get plugged into a community uh where people are giving new players opportunities. Excellent. And one final question before we go, what does living a creative life mean to you? I think it um, means balance to me. I've talked about this with friends before, and it's any kind of creative endeavor is uh, in a way selfish, strictly because of the time and really not even creative, but anything that you have to really focus on. It takes uh, sacrifices, which can be healthy. And so the balance aspect is having that relationship of in all in all respects, really, because I think that the music or your creative work is the sacred part and you keep that sacred and you keep it fun and you allow yourself to be fully engaged in those things and then you have the balance to where at least in you know my situation you think about the industry and you think about how do you get the opportunity to perform live and continue to make art it's okay to focus on those things too and it's okay to focus on both those things but you have to have balance with the rest of your world very easy i think creatives are very um 
a lot of creatives I know and myself included are just uh, workaholics or perfectionists in different degrees. And I'll add to, to the list, uh, at least for me, uh, scatterbrained at the same time. Making a point to step away from your work and thinking about what else is going on besides what you're creatively involved in. Because the better that relationship is within yourself, then your creative work is going to benefit. Your relationships are going to benefit. You know, it's balance. And it's, it's a, I think, an ongoing, it could be a struggle or just it's an ongoing thing you have to focus on because the tides are always moving. You know, you have busy seasons, you tour, it's intense and you really have to have that balance then. And then you get home and you do, you have nothing to do for a little bit. And it's, uh, it's being okay in both. Excellent. Well, Clay, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Yeah, great to talk with you. And listeners, please check the show notes for links to buy tickets for his upcoming tour. Definitely keep listening. If you're in the Houston area, he's got a show on March 2nd at the Dosi do So hope to see you there. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Like the show? Have a question? Stop by the Facebook and Instagram pages. Links are in the show notes or search for a creative piecemeal podcast on social media and click follow for all the latest.